Well, good deal. Turn to the book of First John. We have been studying the book of First John. It's been good. We're closing in on the end of it. Just a couple of weeks left. I don't know exactly how long it's going to be because I don't know how many verses I'll put together as I begin studying. Uh, sometimes I think it's going to be one or two and it ends up being four or five. And then uh, tonight we're going to be looking at uh, three verses. And these are probably, at least for, for us or for me, certainly, one of the most familiar verses uh, in the book of 1 John, because we use these readily when we're dealing with people with uh, concerning salvation. The title of the uh, topic or the, these verses that I've given them is The Eternal Life. Uh, the Eternal Life. And you'll see that uh, very clearly as we look. 1 John chapter 5, we finished up with verse number 10 last week, so we'll look at verse 11, 12, and 13. 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You know, people, since Christ walked on the earth, and really, probably, you could say since Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, people have desired to have or to attain eternal life. They have sought after eternal life. They, they look for it. There's so many different philosophies or ideas out there in the world. You have the uh, fountain of youth that is somewhere, you know, that they've searched for. There has been uh, magic elixirs uh, throughout the years that people have taken. And yea, even today, I bet you today, you could find on the internet some magic elixir that you could take that is supposed to give you, you know, another 10 years of life or 15 years of life. There's uh, this pursuit of living a long time. Alchemists from India to China uh, were developing an elixir. In the Tang Dynasty, the emperor took an elixir that was guaranteed to give him eternal life and it ended up killing him. Um, because it had a bunch of mercury in it. And we, of course, know mercury is poisonous and we can't, the body can't take that. And he drank it and uh, ended up taking his life because he wanted eternal life. He lost the life that he had. There are many who have opted to put their body in cryostasis. I looked it up just to see there's approximately right now about 300 people whose body is in cryostasis. Uh, where they take your body and they freeze it uh, actually to 200 degrees below zero. That's how far down they, they keep the body that cold. And they believe that someday in the future uh, that this science will develop to the point where they will be able to unfreeze this body and restore their life back. And not only that, they will have the means or capacity to cure whatever disease killed them in the first place. Uh, they, they've paid this. And currently, the cost for putting your body in cryostasis is somewhere between eighty dollars and $200,000 uh, to have that done. And it depends on how, I guess, comfortable of a box you want to be in. I, I, don't, know, I don't know why there's such a wide... It's, it, there are some maybe less reputable companies that, that offer it for around eighty, but the number one... The Cryo Institute of the World or America, or I don't know where they're from, but the Cryo Institute is number one, and they're about 200000 
Uh, there's several famous people that have had, there's some scientists that have had their body put into cryostasis. But the, the goal, hopefully, one day to be woken up and uh, to live forever. It, I, I listened to a, uh, uh, portions of a book. I didn't have time to listen to the whole thing. But I listened to portions of a book of uh, the idea of, of the pursuit of eternal life. And, of course, this guy was just an intellectual. And, uh, you know, he said he didn't believe at all in any type of eternal life or afterlife. But he, in all of his research and study, uh, he has seen that it's something that man has sought after. Obviously, uh, without any success for 6,000 years. But the problem is they forgot to look at the Bible. <laughs> The Bible's given us the answer already. You could save yourself $200,000. I mean, we are going to live forever, amen? We have that promise from God, and we know the end of the story. We know that we can have eternal, eternal life. Most men agree that to live forever, uh, just, just the aspect of living forever is not necessarily desirable. I mean, to live forever in your current state, to live forever here on earth, I mean, how many of you have spent some time with some older folks and they basically, they're saying, you know what, I've had enough. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm ready. I, I'm ready to go. I, I, I don't have any, some, I've, had, I've, I've heard people tell me I have no interest to live to be 100. I don't even want to be here that long, you know. <laughs> I mean, you think about living forever in our current state, you know, getting sick every few months. Uh, you know, getting over it and, and dealing with all. I was talking to somebody just this week. We were chatting about some frustrations and he said, well, praise God, when we get to heaven, we won't have to deal with any of these frustrations. You know, they'll be gone. And uh, hallelujah. We're looking forward to that. So there, there's a big difference between just living forever and having eternal life. So we want to look at this tonight, this idea that we have given to us here. First of all, let me give you the doctrine of eternal life. We know that doctrine is teaching. This is a principle given to us in the Word of God, theologically sound, biblically true, the doctrine that we have eternal life. Verse number 11 says, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. This is not just somebody's idea, somebody's philosophy. This isn't just something that got published in a book and then became more and more widespread and more and more start more and more people started believing it and all of a sudden it started being taught in the Christian or caught, taught in the public schools like fact, even though we know it's just theory. It was not like that. This is from God himself. We know what the Bible says here that we have this record this record, a doctrine, something that's based on the Word of God. Now, I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture tonight, and I don't know, most of it's going to be in the book of John, not First John, the book of John. Uh, you know, so I don't know if you can have time to turn to all these or want to write them down, but John chapter 7, verse 16 and 17, he says, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but, has, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Jesus Christ was saying that I'm sharing with you these truths and I want you to understand they're not just truths that I'm giving you. It's not just something that I'm saying, but this is doctrine from God. This is teaching that God has told me to tell you. This is the creator of the world the creator of the universe, the, the God, he is the one that establishes doctrine. So we know that the possibility of eternal life is not just fantasy, beloved. The natural man and much of the world today, 
they look at this book and the idea of eternal life and they believe it's just fantasy. I, I listened to several, uh, in preparation for this, several news uh, broadcasts and they were interviewing these, you know, people with a whole bunch of letters behind their name and, and they were talking to them. You know, the, the, the whole idea of religion and, and just the, they say, well, you know, people need that to have a crutch to allow them to uh, deal with the tragedies of life in some way. And, and if they really understood science, they would know that that's not true. And there's really nothing to religion. It's all fake. It's all a fallacy. But, but they need it so we don't have a problem with them hanging on to it. Uh, I want you to know it's not fantasy. It's not fallacy. The, the, the problem is, is that person has uh, ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, they, they, they know a whole lot, but what they're doing is just showing their ignorance, showing what they do not know. Uh, one man said, I just want to, I'm going to refute Christianity in less than one minute. And he said, okay, Jesus Christ declared himself, and he, he gave the reference, John something, declared himself to be God. But then he declared that the, the Father was the only God. He said, so if the Father's the only God, then Jesus lied when he said he was God. Or uh, if Jesus is God and the Father's not, then he lied when he said the Father was God. There you go, I disproved Christianity in less than a minute. All he did is prove his ignorance about Christianity because there is such a thing as a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are all God. They're three in one. That's very clearly taught in Scripture. Somebody that had even the rudimentary knowledge about Jesus Christ and God the Father, and, and even Jesus in his own words said, I and my Father are one. And, and so he, all he did is show his ignorance of Christianity, not disproved Christianity. The doctrine, the teaching uh, that we have here is from God. Man did not create his faith to help him deal with tragedy, but God created man and gave him the possibility of faith. And we have a a record here. He says, you have this record. It's a promise from God. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. It's from God. 2 Peter 1 verse number 4 says, whereby... Uh, are, we are given great, given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through the lust. We have these exceeding great and precious promises given to us by God. The promise of eternal life is a promise that God has given to us in his word over and over and over again. We don't, we don't have time tonight even to deal with this aspect, just, just this aspect alone. If we dealt with it uh, all inclusively, what the Bible says about heaven and the promises towards us with regards to it. But it is a promise from God. It's a promise that we see here is provided through God's son. So it's a promise from God the Father, but it's provided through God's Son. He says this, and this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in what? His Son. In His Son. We see that. So it's a promise given to us from the Father, but provided through the Son. We see it again echoed in uh, verse number 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And we're going to be to that in just a moment here, but I want you to see it's provided through God's Son. Notice as well also that it is a gift. 
He says, and this is the record that God hath given, given to us eternal life. Eternal life is a gift, beloved. It's not something that can be earned, not something that can be acquired or attained through uh, different levels of effort on our part. It is 100% a gift. John 10, 28 says, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I give unto them eternal life. It is a gift. I give it to you. I give it to you. God offers it freely. You know, I don't care how many services that you sit in. I don't care uh, how much you give to the poor or to needy organizations or how many times you have taken communion or whether you've been baptized or not. I had a guy call the church this afternoon and uh, just said, I have a question about baptism. Would you be willing to answer it? And I said, certainly will. I'll, I'll do my best. And, and uh, we talked for a few minutes. And I don't know if he was trying to prove infant baptism or, or, or to learn about infant baptism. But his, his thought was, well, how come we don't baptize babies? And, and, and I, of course, went into it and talked to, talked to him and told him what it was. But we, listen, baptism doesn't save you. We don't need to baptize a baby. It doesn't do anything for a baby besides get them wet. Give them a bath, amen, yeah. Get some good clean water on them. That, does it, that might help the baby a little bit. But that's all it's going to do because that baby is already safe. And uh, so I, I gave him the example of uh, David and his son that died. And, and he said, I'll see my son again. And I said, and David wasn't baptized. And he said, but that was the Old Testament. They didn't baptize people in the Old Testament. And I said, that's correct, but that proves the point exactly, because in the Old Testament, I believe people were saved the same way we are in the New Testament. That is, they, they put their faith and trust in the promised Messiah, the Messiah that was coming. And yes, they observed the Levitical uh, practices to help cover their sin for the time as they followed God, but they looked towards the promised Messiah and their salvation was offered without baptism. That wasn't practiced at all in the Old Testament. I said, so you said it, not me. And, and he's like, oh, well, thanks for sharing that. And I said, okay, I, I'm just telling you, I mean, I, did, I didn't, wouldn't have ever even thought of that except for he presented that argument. And I said, now in the, in the New Testament, we're saved by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ that looks back to what Christ did because we know he's already come. And so that's the truth of it. Salvation doesn't come from baptism. It's solely a gift given to us by God. Amen. Now, Christ came to give men uh, who were spiritually dead. He came to give them life. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. John 14.6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It is spiritual life. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this life that we have in Jesus Christ in just a moment. But I want you to see one more truth with regards to this in this verse, and that is, is, is that it is presently held. I don't know why that was a hard thing to say, but it is presently held. He says that here, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. It is presently held by anybody that's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's something you currently have. It is not something that we will have when we die, it's something you currently have right now. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, at that moment, he has given you eternal life. John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Hath, present tense, hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John 5.24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Okay, again, this is something that is presently tense. Present tense, you presently hold it if you put your faith and trust in Christ. Now, I had a, I had a thought some weeks or months ago, time flies, but uh, it was something that just struck me pretty, pretty amazing in one of my studies. I think it was one of the studies for, for this book of 1 John here. But the idea is that as soon as you put your faith and trust in Christ, you begin right then to live your eternal life. I know in our mind, we always think about, well, when I die, I have eternal life. I'm going to live my eternal life. But you are currently right now living your eternal life because you have eternal life. It's something that God has already given you. And the fact of the matter is, is the Bible says that you shall never die. That we, we're not going to have to experience that death, that separation from God. We know this body was going to perish, possibly, if the Lord tarries and, and we, you know, move on through this going to happen. This body might perish, but we, we as an individual will have eternal life. We don't have to experience that death that the Bible talks about being separated from God forever. And so it's something that's presently held. I want you to see, secondly, the declaration that's given to us in verse number 12. He says, he that hath the Son hath life. It's a declaration. He declares it emphatically, a fact. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's the difference. What Again, what's the relationship with the Son? What do you believe about the Son of God? How do you uh, look at Jesus Christ and what he did? He that hath the Son hath life. Uh, most familiar verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What you believe about the Son. You have the Son, you have life. You have not to have, don't believe in the Son or haven't put your faith and trust in the, in the Son, you don't have life. Now it says here, by this verse, it's very clear that some people have it and some people don't. Now, all human beings have physical life. So obviously this life described here is not just talking about the physical life that we are alive I mean, you say, well, you have life. Of course, we, everybody present here has life. So it's not talking about that. It's talking about a different kind of life. All humans, all physical, natural life is available. But all humans do not possess eternal life. If you're going to have eternal life, you must have the Son. Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You must have the Son. Only the Son in His perfect righteousness was able to go to the Father on our behalf and stand before Him. And, and we're clothed in the righteousness of God when, we, when we're saved. We're given His righteousness. And only through the Son are we able to come to the Father. So those that don't have the Son don't have life. Not just eternal life, but spiritual life. They don't have spiritual life. John 5.40 says, and Ye will not come to me that ye might have life. He says, you won't come to get life. These people that were already alive, he's saying, you don't want to come to me to get life. He's talking about eternal life, a different kind of life, not just the physical life. You know, again, we often read these verses and think about the, the, the eternal life as being something that is, we'll see in heaven or that we'll get to once we pass away. But 
when you rethink about that in light of what we've taught recently in Sunday school and I've taught before about the, the, the three types of men, you have your natural man and your spiritual man uh, and your carnal man. You have a natural man where he is spiritually dead. He, he does not have, he has not been made spiritually alive. He has not been given eternal life. That's the natural man. And to the natural man, the things of this book are foolishness. He doesn't understand them. He cannot discern those because they're spiritually discerned and he's spiritually dead. But then you have the spiritual man. He has been given eternal life. That is, he has been made spiritually alive. He has been given eternal life. You have that spiritual man. Of course, the carnal man is a, is a man that has been made spiritually alive, but he's living like he was dead. So we see a man without Christ is a natural man. And he can't understand the spiritual things of God. Uh, when you get saved, the Bible says that you pass from death to life. John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And he shall not come into God to condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So that you're being, you are made spiritually alive. That part of you that was, has been dead since you were born, you were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sin, you were forgiven of your sin and made spiritually alive. And you have the ability to discern good and evil. You have the ability to discern spiritual things. And the Holy Spirit that came and dwelt in your heart guides you into all truth. And we praise the Lord for that. Now I want to talk briefly about this life that we've been given. Because he that hath the Son hath life. And we've established the fact that it's not just physical life. What is it talking about? It's talking about spiritual life, being made spiritually alive. So what is this life? And I, again, cannot be all-inclusive here, but we want to talk about it. The word for eternal uh, in this passage here means far more than simply living or lasting forever. Um, the fact of the matter is, is as we said, just, just existing forever could be torture, <laughs> Just, you know, it, it, it's, you know, some people talk about it's not quantity, it's quality. You know, I mean, there's some, some measure of, well, what is the quality of life? I mean, okay, doc, if I go through this procedure, you say I'm going to live for another four years. But if I'm stuck in a wheelchair and I'm basically a vegetable and have to be fed through a straw for the next four years, I think I'll take the one year I got like I am. And I can walk around and talk. And I mean, there, there's something to be said about the quality of life. So this eternal life we have from God is not just existing forever. You know, the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter if you're a natural man or a spiritual man. You're going to exist somewhere forever. You're going to exist somewhere. You're going to either exist for eternity in a place called hell. Or you're going to have been given spiritual life. Been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then you get to live in heaven forever. Not just exist, but to live. It's a, it's a new life that we have in Jesus Christ. Hey, how many people talk about, you know, I just hate my life. They just want their life to be something different. This is not what I pictured. This is not what I wanted. I mean, in my mind, when I was growing up, I was going to be this, or I was going to do that, or, or whatever it might be. And I just, I don't know how I ended up here. I'm so disgusted with my life, and I'm not satisfied with my life. Well, can I tell you, the life we have in Jesus Christ is satisfying. It is a satisfying life. John 6, 35 says, And Jesus saith unto them, I am the bread of life, and he that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst.
that verse is describing the fact that in Jesus Christ we find satisfaction. You can be satisfied in the life, the new life we have in Christ. New life in Christ. We have a new life in Christ. And you, it, it's a satisfying life. Not only that, it's, we know it's a secure life. It's a secure life. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You know, once you're saved, you're always saved. Yeah, and that's what we're going to get to dealing with in verse number 13, which is a, a key passage with regards to assurance of salvation, but it's a secure life. Not only that, it is to be a shining life. John 1, verse 4 and 5, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You know, the new life we have in Jesus Christ is supposed to put light in our heart. It's supposed to put light in our life. Of course, the Word of God is a light to our uh, feet, and a lamp to our feet, and a light to our path. But we also are supposed to, you know, let our light shine. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We, we are supposed to have a shining light. This new life in, in Christ. Christians shouldn't be going around saying, I hate my life. Man, we, we, we can't. We have a new life in Christ. And it's a life that's, that's abundant. It's an abundant life. that we, He said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And you're living that life right now. It's not that one day in heaven when I get to glory, I'm going to live that, that full, rich, abundant life. No, God has that for you right now. You're living your eternity right now. You're involved in that and headed down that road right now. We have an abundant life in Christ. Sometimes we get our eyes too much on uh, what we don't have and not enough on what we do have. We look too much at what the neighbor has or what somebody else at church has and the new car that Miss Kim got. And we say, man, it's not fair. I, I didn't get a, a Bronco or I didn't get my dream car. She got to get her dream car. Uh, I've been wanting this kind of car for a lot of years and I didn't get it. What did you get? What do you have? We are so blessed beyond measure. And we get to the point where we're dissatisfied with what God has done for us. But it's not because God hasn't been good to us. It's because we are uh, looking at the wrong things. That's why, man, I'll tell you what, if you really get a hold of it and start looking at what God's done for you, you'll, you'll be overwhelmed with how good God has been. Yeah, can I tell you tonight that you're in church? You're not sitting at the hospital waiting for a report. You're not sitting there waiting, Brother Matt, for the doctor to come and tell you whether she's, your wife Tiffany's going to be able to beat the cancer she has. God's been good. God's been good. It doesn't matter where we're, where, and now she doesn't have cancer, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> I, I'm saying, God, she, she's like, oh no, do I have cancer? <laughs> hey, I'm not, I'm not prophesying. I don't prophesy, so I don't know anything about that. I'm just saying there's things, sometimes we just look at what we don't have instead of the things we do. And man, God has been so good and so, so blessed us so richly. But we get dissatisfied. We, and our life's supposed to be one that brings honor and glory to God. It's supposed to shine. Not only that, it's supposed to be a serene life. You know, it's amazing that the God of peace, anywhere the God of peace, the God of peace reigns, he brings peace. 
You look down through history and anywhere where Christianity took a hold, uh, it brought peace. Now, true Christianity, not some of this foolishness of the Crusades and all this stuff that they did. That's not, God, God wasn't in that. God brings peace and God will bring peace to your heart if you let him reign. Problem is, is we want to reign. And when we're reigning, we don't have peace. For starters, a lot of times it's because we're at war with the one that should be reigning. <laughs> but, but not only that, because, you know, we, when we're reigning, we, we are, you know, the, our heart is, is desperately wicked. And we're going to choose something that we shouldn't be choosing or go somewhere we shouldn't go or, or make a choice that we shouldn't make. And, and it's going to create turmoil. But let God reign and you'll have peace. It's a serene life that we have in Jesus Christ. This abundant life that's available to us. The eternal life that we have. And it's available right now. What a privilege. And then I want you to see that the doubt is removed in verse number 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God is a no-so God. God is a God that works from a, he is a God of truth. He does not uh, deal in doubt. If you are doubting your salvation, I want you to know God does not deal in doubt. Satan is the one that deals in doubt. Either you're saved or you're not saved. If you're dealing in doubt, Satan from the very beginning said, hath God said. He was bringing doubt, and Satan is the one that will deal in doubt. And I'm not trying to get anybody to doubt their salvation tonight. And sometimes we maybe push a little bit too hard on that idea because Satan's the one that deals in doubt. God deals in assurance. God deals in conviction with a no-so salvation, something you know that you have or you know that you don't have. Doubt is removed when we get a hold of God. God has provided and given us a no-so salvation. God wants you to know it, not to doubt it. Well, how can you know it? How can you know it? Now, if, you're, if you are struggling with knowing that you're saved or you know anybody that is, I can tell you the best little book that, that I've read, and I've read probably seven or eight little pamphlets dealing with that, is uh, Beyond a Shadow of a Doubt by Brother Townsley, the one who has, has written our Sunday School series that we're going through right now. He, he has a little pamphlet, and we have some of them available in the bookstore, I believe. Uh, I've got several copies uh, because I use it when people, I say, start with this, uh, Beyond a Shadow of a Doubt. And there shouldn't be any doubt. You should know that you're saved. How do you know? Well, first of all, uh, you need to believe the scriptures. He says here, these things have I written. These things have I written. So do you believe what God said? Did God say he would save you? Did you confess your sin and ask God to save you? Yes. Well, did God say he would save you? Yes. So why are you doubting? God has said he would do it. So we need to believe the scriptures. These things have I written. God's word is the source of all truth. And he has told us he would give us eternal life. Hebrews 10, and 23 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. Having a full assurance. Do you have that full assurance? Having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Without wavering. 
You know, God has given us his word and his word is true. And that is the rock on which we stand. The word of God. We've got to believe the scriptures. Not only that, he tells us here in this verse, we need to believe on the son. He that believeth on the name of the son of God hath everlasting life, hath eternal life. In uh, 2 Timothy 1 and verse number 12, he says, For that which cause I also suffered these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. Do you know whom you believed in? I mean, if you believed in, in somebody just talking, uh, you know, or you believed in some good, good guy that was, uh, you know, faithful man, hard worker, whatever, you know, but if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he is the son of God. And if you know that, you can believe. You can believe that you're saved. Believe the scriptures. Believe the son. He has given us eternal life. It's amazing, beloved, that God the Father has extended to us. Think about the effort that God has used to show us his love. The, all the ways and means in which God has communicated his love. He, he started with, you know, creation. Hath not creation itself uh, declared unto you. We know that in, in, in creation we see God and his Majesty. We know that our own conscience tells us that there is a God. And we know this whole pursuit for eternal life and the whole idea that there is something else out there. and There has to be something more. And I can't remember the exact words, but that guy that wrote this big book on the whole idea, uh, you know, said in so many words, he says, it's like there's something in everybody that just makes them want to find something more. Like there has to be something more. We can't just admit that when we die we're in the ground and it's over well that's because god wrote it on the heart of man it's not something that's just unique to some cultures it's the whole world over because it's written on the heart of man that there is more there is a creator there's a god and we know that one day we're going to answer to him and uh it's something that we seek after and then he has sent his son for us and then he wrote his word for us and he's preserved it so we could have it to share it with one another and to learn about the truth of God's love. I gave you uh, some weeks ago, and I, I printed a couple of copies out in case there's somebody that didn't give it, but the 13 tests of salvation uh, that are in First uh, John, uh, you know, just things that are clearly taught that are going to be present or, present or evident in your life if you are a believer do you walk in darkness do you walk in sin do you keep his commandments do you love your brother do you love the world do you confess the lord jesus christ do you practice righteousness do you practice sin do you hear uh god's spirit speaking to you do you love others do you have a god's spirit in you do you have the son or do you have understanding? All these things, and I didn't take time to give the references, but they're all found in. If you didn't have that and you would like a copy, I'll set them right here. Uh, but just 13 evidences or tests uh, that you have eternal life. You're going to either do or not do those things that are listed uh, if you have eternal life. God wants you to know it. He doesn't want you to doubt it. He wants to have it settled. Um, listen, as we bring this to a conclusion this evening... This world wants to remove all absolutes. 
In every area that they can, they want to just cut down the absolutes. But God has given us an absolute here concerning our salvation, concerning eternal life. It's not something you have to wonder about. God has given us eternal life. It's something that every believer should know. He says we can know it. And once you know it, you can't lose it. Hey, if it was something you could lose, then that means it's something that's up to you. But we know it's not up to us. And I'm glad my salvation is not dependent upon me. Because I, I would lose it every day. It's salvation that's given freely. It's given. It's a free gift. You know, the story of the prodigal son, he ran to that far country. The Bible says he wasted his substance in riotous living and literally wasted his life. He went out into the world and, and lived like the devil, did what he wanted to do. He went out there and everything in his life changed from what it was when he was in the father's house. But you know what didn't change? He was still his father's son. His location changed, but the love that his father had for him did not. His friends changed, but his family did not. His purity changed, but his position of son did not. I'm saying as Christians, somebody that knows that he's saved, there's things in your life, maybe you've drifted or wandered from God and you've gone out into some riotous living. I want you to know that maybe your purity's changed, but your position as a son has not. Maybe your, your friendship with God has changed. You're not as close to him as you once were, but you're still part of the family of God. And God says... If we come and confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he wants to restore you into good fellowship. But we can rejoice tonight that you don't lose your sonship. You've been made part of the family of God. And that's not something you're going to lose. Because we have eternal life.